This program is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication, which is comprised of five schools, each offering a variety of majors and programs for students who want to pursue communication-related careers. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories to tell. Today we're talking with Philip Ewing, National Security Editor for National Public Radio. We're talking about the Trump-Russia investigation by both the Senate and Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Phil's a veteran Washington reporter on military and security matters, and he breaks down for us the recent Senate hearings with Director of National Intelligence Daniel Coates and National Security Agency Director Michael Rogers, as well as former FBI Director James Comey. Phil gives us the insider's update on all of the Trump-Russia investigations. Phil, it seems like forever ago, but just last Wednesday, Director of National Intelligence Daniel Coates and National Security Agency Director Admiral Michael Rogers both testified in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And the major problem was that they would not answer questions about what the president may have told them or requested of them uh, regarding the Russian investigation. Let's, let's first start off with the reaction from the committee. From an outside perspective, it seemed that it was a bipartisan sort of repugnance I think that's fair. And the interesting thing about all the events in Washington this week is they've turned every observer and every participant into a lawyer. And uh, <laughs> as someone who has no legal training and uh, is not an attorney, probably for, for excellent reason, it's been very interesting to see these kind of little mini clinics that sprung up on Wednesday and the later session on Thursday because the first round of senators asked Coates and Rogers in that hearing you referenced about what they may or may not have been asked to do by Trump, and they gave very precisely, exquisitely worded answers that sounded very expensive in terms of the hourly rates of the counsel that was involved. Well, very said very expensive they, and very similar, both of them, and I'm paraphrasing, we never felt pressured to do anything inappropriate, illegal, or immoral. Correct. And as a as a legal expert yourself and someone who who actually is uh, an attorney, I know I know you can appreciate that what they said in that answer is gave an expression of their own perception about what they might have been pressured or directed to do. In other words, they didn't say another person told me to do something. They said, I never felt a certain way about the interactions that I might have had with my superior, in this case, the president. And their specific terms they used were very important, too. Coates and Rogers said, I'm paraphrasing, we never felt pressured, key phrases, or we were never directed, also key phrases. And what that means in real terms is, 
what does pressure mean? It means something different to you from what it means to me. And although it's kind of a casual headline term uh, that we use in Washington a lot, there is no doctrinal uh, definition that we could agree on, which is why it's good for these guys to use. What does a direction mean? In the case of Rogers, it's very important because he is a U.S. military officer. He's a four-star Navy admiral. He's in the Defense Department chain of command because he is a support agency technically to the Defense Department with his national security agency. And so when he talks about being directed or receiving a direction, what does he mean? He means, did he get a lawfully constituted and properly formatted instruction through the proper channels from his from his immediate superior in command and so forth and so on. An and order, to, in other words, co- an order. Correct. <laughs> the answer to those questions uh, appears to be no, which is why after giving those answers, the other lawyers on the committee then took their own crack at it using their various uh, legal kung fu techniques that they had. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida said, okay, you weren't pressured or directed. Were you requested or asked? Or he he phrased the question in a more open way. And that's where the non-answers began. Uh, Rogers and Coates basically said, I stand by my earlier statement. I stand by my earlier statement. And no amount of technique applied by their interlocutors could get them to budge. Senator Angus King, um, the main independent who caucuses with Democrats, tried the Khrushchev technique and did everything but bang a shoe on the table and say, how dare you men come before this committee of oversight and give us this non-answer without any legal justification. You can't choose what you do and don't say to Congress. We're here to supervise your activities you must tell us an answer, and still they refused. There may be some paperwork that comes from their relevant agencies behind the scenes to the Senate Intelligence Committee after the fact or not, but the public show was different from the actual information members of Congress were able to glean, which was not much. The The substance of the whole discussion was they are still U.S. government employees. They're still top administration officials, and they have decided for whatever reason they are not going to publicly confirm these press reports about what they may have been asked to do by the president to get the FBI off Mike Flynn or the collusion uh, investigation. And that's the bed they made and they slept in it. So one thing, one story everyone in town here is watching is where does this all lead and will they change their tune down the line uh, given the path they chosen to fall? Well, let's break this down a little bit if we if we can. Uh, Further questions were asked of them. Under what authority were they refusing to answer? Uh, It was clear from both of them that they were not exercising that this was classified information. They conceded that much of what they could tell was not classified. Then they were. Uh, ask about executive privilege. Well, executive privilege is not something that's exercised by the witness. It's exercised only by the president. And there was no exercise of executive privilege. So you have no classified information and no executive privilege. Therefore, the question is, under what authority are they refusing to answer questions to an oversight committee? And exactly, Dan Coates actually said, I guess I have no authority. I think there are many people in Washington, especially on the Democratic side, who would welcome your ruling, Judge, because there was no compelling legal 
response that they gave um, in the answer to the questions from King and others. They just decided they didn't want to do it because there are lots of good and immediate um, reasons for their own careers and for their own uh, security within the administration not to talk. But the authorities that the oversight committees can invoke are strong, and the Congress is, at least notionally, theoretically, a co-equal branch of the government, and it has as much power to request and potentially compel this information as the president would of his own employees. Now, both of them said that they basically, that this was not appropriate for a public setting, inferring without exactly saying that uh, they would be able to answer if it was behind closed doors in a private session. Uh, But that didn't work out so well either, did it? I don't know this, but I would imagine that they probably gave very similar answers in the closed session, or they would if there uh, was one with these two leaders convened by this committee. The understanding I had this week was the closed session they scheduled after the open session was on the actual topic for which this hearing on was scheduled. On 702? Correct, which was to talk about uh, the FISA Amendments Act, Section 702, which is a whole separate kettle of fish. And the witnesses that the ODNI office and that the NSA and FBI had sent for that purpose were technical experts who were prepared to brief the senators on that, as opposed to another opportunity for their leadership to be questioned by the members of Congress. However, I think Everyone knows what's going on here. Coates and Rogers have all but said that the Washington Post and New York Times reports are in substance accurate. And the telling and very careful responses they gave are not denials, to be clear. And um, the story that was borne out the following day by the former FBI director, James Comey, before the same committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, appears in the minds of a lot of the president's critics and opponents to have confirmed this arguable and potential pattern of behavior in which he asked each one of these intelligence leaders separately and independently and kind of unofficially and casually to lay off of Mike Flynn, lay off of Russia, or if you can't do it, get the FBI to do it. And that is what is going to potentially propel the story in uh, the next direction that it takes, although no one knows what that's going to be at this point. Okay, well, let's again walk through this a little bit. In the questioning from the senators on the Senate Intelligence Committee, a couple of them, and I don't recall who uh, at this moment, inferred that they had a witness Uh, I believe it was Coates who was supposedly told this to someone, and they may have documentation. Rogers supposedly committed this to a memo similar to the the Comey-type memo. Does the Senate bring in that witness now, the the committee, and, and bring in that document and then take another shot at these guys in private session or public session or How might that work? What I think will happen is the leaders of the Senate committee are going to be negotiating very carefully with Justice Department Special Counsel Robert Mueller, who was appointed by the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to come in and be the outside authority for the FBI's 
collusion and potential obstruction of justice investigations because what Mueller is doing behind the scenes with his attorneys and investigators, no one knows, but he seems to have the clear advantage in terms of dealing with witnesses and evidence as regards the investigations being pursued before by the congressional committees. He also, um, it's very important to remind people, is the only one in the whole mix here who has the power to deprive anyone of their life, liberty, or property, unlike Congress, which theoretically could do some things maybe, but very likely will do nothing more than issue a strongly worded report if, in fact, we ever get to that point and this investigation is over. And what members of Congress have told our correspondents and kind of said publicly is they believe all the questions about the witnesses like the one you described or the evidence in terms of documents or other materials will go to Mueller for, uh, go to Mother Mueller first and he'll have the fir- first crack at all of that. But um, what the Intelligence Committee's leadership uh, got Comey to say on Thursday was he thought both of those trains could run in parallel and that as long as Mueller gave a checkmark before or at the same time as people were going to be discussing things with the Senate, especially in open session, he thought they could both happen at the same time. Only time will tell as to whether or not that's possible. And as South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham pointed out, um, Mueller is potentially running a criminal investigation here, and we, he will be very conservative, we imagine, in terms of protecting his evidence and his witnesses so that if anything down the line were to result in indictments or other action, he would have a clear lane of fire there as opposed to having things that might have been um, exposed beforehand in these open Senate hearings. Um, However, no one knows the answer to any of those questions, and no one but Mueller knows exactly what evidence he has of which the public is not yet aware and where that could lead in terms of potential criminal or political outcomes down the line. Mueller clearly has a relationship with the FBI uh, using certainly part of their investigation. But from news reports, certainly from NPR, Washington Post, New York Times, uh, it seems that Mueller would also be relying on information from the intelligence community, which would involve the agencies of Coates and Rogers. Am I correct in that? I think that is correct, yes. So he has to have a working relationship to get their intelligence. Yet at the same time, uh, he is walking this tightrope about whether they should be forced to testify further. That's right. The other factor that Mueller has to grapple with is if you think of the national security agencies as, in very simple terms, there are cop or law enforcement agencies and there are spy agencies. And in law and practice, typically there are very bright lines between the two. So Mm -hmm. the things that the NSA and the CIA and the DIA, the defense intelligence agencies um, and others learn very seldom uh, results in any kind of criminal outcome, for example, in the way that the FBI likes to work, where it's an agency full of law enforcement officers whose job is to get evidence, protect it, build a case, and then toss it over the wall across the street on Pennsylvania Avenue for the Justice Department to eventually bring a case against some miscreant uh, with the goal of uh, some redress, putting that person in jail or paying a fine or something like that. And 
that dynamic is one of the things that has made the national security world in Washington very tense over the long history of the work of these agencies, the FBI and the CIA, supposedly um, work together well, but there have been a lot of occasions when they've been in each other's throats as well. And one of the factors involved there is the intelligence communities always want to protect their secret equities, their so-called sources and methods, the human agents they run overseas, all the cloak and dagger stuff they do behind the scenes that we all know about at a general level, but which very people, very few people understand specifically. And the dilemma for a person like Mueller in this case is, who knows what the NSA and CIA could know in their behind the green door, as they say, on the classified side. And the former CIA director, John Brennan, has told Congress there's a great deal of classified material, including potentially communications between people who were in the Trump campaign and Russians who were known to U.S. intelligence. But the bias is always toward protecting those equities, that stuff behind the green door and how the intelligence communities learned it as opposed to converting it into evidence that a theoretical notional prosecutor could someday take before a jury or announce to Congress for its action as and uh, have some kind of outcome result from that case. Um, my explanation is probably longer than it needed to be, except no. to say that Mueller's tensions are exactly the ones that you described, and they're made worse by the fact that these spy agencies... Um, there have been cases in the past where it, they knew things because of their secret ways that they knew things that they never told anyone, and it was only clear decades later after the relevant files were declassified the full picture that they had. Can Mueller take all the secret things that these guys may know and actually do anything with it without violating their confidence? No one knows the answer to that right now. Now, albeit... I was a trial judge in, in a small Ohio town, but I, I did my share of, of criminal law. Yesterday, it seems to me, and that, that's Thursday when Comey testified, that uh, a lot of the news agencies were missing a point. They followed Comey along to basically it was his credibility against President Trump's credibility. And it was a one-on-one set-off. In other words, who do you believe? Yet, the day before, we had Coates and Rogers who seemed to me that if they testify in the way that the news reports have said, would be corroborating witnesses of Comey. Yet, nobody seems to be talking about that. Am I missing something? I don't think you're missing anything because of one or two questions that took place on Thursday. Members of Congress asked Comey, what about these reports? Did you uh, get any request from your colleagues in the intelligence community to lay off Mike Flynn or anything else? And Comey said, no, he never got any requests like that. So that's based on his experience and his willingness to talk about what might have gone on behind the scenes. But so far as the public evidence goes, uh, Coates and Rogers didn't say one way or the other whether the press reports are true. Comey said he had never gotten any request, which means um, it would require more testimony by Rogers and Coates or additional evidence down the line to put it all together. But uh, from what we've heard in the open session in Congress, they did not corroborate each other's stories. 
And if I were Mueller and I were looking to make an obstruction case, I would be looking at all three elements as independent attempts at obstruction, but the combination of the three makes each one more likely. Right. And I think the the um, conclusion that a lot of observers reached after Wednesday and Thursday and hearing everything else that has taken place is, and I'd be very curious for your uh, opinion on this, is this is a matter that you would take before a jury. Neither side seems to have an airtight claim. Neither side seems to have a really um, slam dunk case one way or the other. And some of the facts are in dispute. And so if you were looking at this potentially as a prosecutor, I can imagine saying, let's not do a deal with these guys because we think we can make a very good case. And if you're the defense, you're thinking, let's not do a deal with these guys because we think we can get off uh, since we will turn this into a contest between, as you said a moment ago, the president's word and Comey's word. For political purposes, the president is very confident that that is the smartest strategy to follow. His attorney, Mark Kasowitz, came out with a very aggressive statement on Thursday saying, um, the president twice was told by Comey, I should say the statement said twice, the president was told by Comey several times he wasn't under investigation. It turned out Comey is one of these reviled and hated leakers that we've been going after this entire time because he shared his uh, public uh, thought, he shared his thoughts publicly with the New York Times. And they want to have the contest that you mentioned where it's Comey versus the president because the president, I think, is confident that his supporters will take his side almost no matter what. We remember during the campaign, Trump said at one point, you know, I could go out on the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I still wouldn't lose this race or it wouldn't cost me anything politically. In the context of his supporters, that's proven still to be true. And they've proven a very reliable uh, base to go back to over and over again. And he seems to draw strength from that. He likes to make public appearances that he turns into rallies. And um, although he described himself this week in a speech as being under siege or having a lot of uh, difficulty right now, he identified himself as being one of the members of his audience, not just about him, but about what they as a movement represent. And people seem to respond to that. So they seem to have chosen very carefully that that will be the strategy they take going forward. I'm going to break one of my own rules right now and and harken back to Watergate, which I I think is not exactly comparable. But but in the sense that back then we were talking about uh, not only obstruction of justice, but conspiracy. We have not heard that word very often uh, in relationship to this. Do you hear that word uh, talked about in Washington at all? No, conspiracy is not one of the new terms in the lexicon lately, but that doesn't mean it won't be. And one of the potential outcomes of Mueller's investigation is establishing what the Americans who may have communicated with the Russians last year during the time of the campaign said to and among each other. And if he can establish that they were cooperating amongst themselves in real time at the same time they were allegedly reportedly communicating with Russian intelligence officers or others, that could be a very big deal. And that could be one thing that tips the scales for him to try to seek indictments about individuals. The former national security advisor, Mike Flynn, is kind of in a special case of his own because he not only has potential difficulties on that subject, dealing with the president potentially or other campaign aides, but there are a few 
laws that allegedly, according to the public indications, he may already have broke just separate from that. And that's why the obstruction of justice case has been the first phrase on everybody's lips in talking about the potential political consequences for the president. Because, we, for example, we know Mike Flynn eventually registered as a foreign agent and was working on behalf of Turkey without doing so in violation of the law. We know that the Defense Department does not believe he was entitled to receive the tens of thousands of dollars in payments that he got from the Russians because of his arrangement as a former general officer. And we know that there's a lot of indications he may not have told an accurate version of events to the FBI investigators who contacted him about his conversations with the Russian ambassador, just separate and apart from whatever may arise from the substance of those conversations themselves. And with those potential transgressions just as table stakes in the story, that's why opponents of the president and Democrats say this is very clear evidence of obstruction of justice because here I have a man who I know I may believe committed crimes. Here I have evidence in this pattern of behavior by the president that appears to show, in my view, as a critic or as a, a member of the opposition party, that he wanted to get the investigators away from this guy. And you can call it a day at that point in their view because the case appears to be made. We'll see whether that turns out to be accurate or not, but that kind of seems to be where the story stands now. In any major case that involves multiple parties, as this uh, investigation obviously does, and Mueller brings in one of the top uh, mob attorneys in, in the country uh, to, to help him, uh, the, the standard procedure is to really pin it on someone uh, and get them to turn uh, on on others. Uh, what back-channel information do you hear about that, if any? There have been press reports and unconfirmed discussions in Washington about how Flynn might be that person. We were talking just a moment ago about the right. crimes he may have potentially allegedly broken right. just based on the public reporting and the public statements of people involved. And Flynn himself has invoked his Fifth Amendment right uh, not to incriminate not to incriminate himself in trying to respond to subpoenas for his testimony and evidence and other materials from the House and Senate investigations that are taking place, which for a lot of people, including at one time the president and his top advisors during the campaign, is evidence on his own that he may have something to hide. That's That may be a fair conclusion to draw, or it may not be. But uh, the former FBI director, James Comey, actually kind of outlined the way that this has worked in the past in his testimony on Thursday when he said, sometimes you can get into one of these situations and find somebody and flip them, in his words, and then use them as a source of evidence about other people and climb the ladder of the investigation that way. We don't know that the feds are doing that with Flynn, but there have been these indications that that might be part of the process. And we know that the Senate and House Intelligence Committees rejected his request to grant him immunity from prosecution in exchange for some kind of public testimony he would give. I imagine, I don't imagine, I know that they're working hand in glove with the federal law enforcement and Justice Department authorities in this case. And the feds may, just from that kind of body language, 
appear to feel that they have a very strong case against him. And they, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to a point months or years from now where they ultimately do a deal with him if they believe that he can be the guy you mentioned a moment ago who they get to give them other people and in whatever conspiracy they might try to prove in court someday. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University and its leadership and faculty strongly support diversity in all of its forms. The college has defined the concept of diversity as acceptance and respect for all and understands that each individual comes with a unique set of life experiences shaped along the dimensions of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, and gender identity, socioeconomic status, age, abilities, religious beliefs, political beliefs, and all other ideologies. At the Scripps College of Communication, diversity is about understanding one another and moving beyond simple tolerance to embracing and celebrating the rich dimensions contained within each individual. Diversity enables the exploration of varied life experiences in a safe, positive, and nurturing environment. To learn more and find out how you can become part of this diverse community, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. If you do hearken back to the Watergate situation it evolved over two, three years. Uh, it seems like what we're doing now is, uh, with the lightning speed of social media, the attention span, I think, of, of the populace has, has certainly shrunk since the early 1970s. Uh, is there a finite period of time uh, that this will hold people's interest or that uh, this will be allowed to go forward? I have the impression, um, anecdotally and just from seeing what people are posting on Facebook and Twitter, that much of the country already is disengaged from this story and that for Republicans and supporters of the president, this isn't even a real thing, and it, it's all just kind of just background hoax. noise. Right. It, it's all it's either a hoax or it's just kind of business as usual in the hated nation's capital, just background noise playing out. And I don't think that's wrong in the sense that the president appears not to face any kind of political jeopardy, certainly from his own supporters in the country, but more immediately from his own political allies in Congress. The Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, said on Thursday... Look, the worst thing, I'm paraphrasing the speaker's words, look, the worst thing Trump appears to have done here has been inexperienced in the workings of government. He didn't understand the important delineations between the Justice Department and FBI. He may not have understood what was inbounds and out of bounds for him to ask the attorney general or the FBI director to do in the case of Flynn and some of these other matters. And that is not incorrect potentially and also if nothing happens in terms of political process in Washington this is the kind of thing that could go away but there's an election next year for both houses of Congress and if in fact for opponents and Democrats 
the case for obstruction of justice has effectively been made and they gain control of one or both houses of Congress next year, we could be in a very different world. So it could be similar to Watergate in the sense that it plays out over several years. And one reason that could be the case is the political reality in Washington changes. Now, I'll leave to others who are more familiar than I am with the state of play in the House, especially, and whether Democrats have any prayer of actually recovering a majority there. There are many reasons to believe that they don't for historical and structural reasons. But if they were to, and the year 2019 were to dawn with a Democratic Speaker of the House and a Democratic Majority Leader in the Senate, and this would have been not adjudicated, but at least pre-litigated for many months before those majorities came into power, then we could talking we could be talking about a very different situation. Those Democrats could use many of the tools at their disposal to try and inflict as much harm on the president as they could, whether that would be a potential impeachment proceeding or whether they would try to use the 25th Amendment of the Constitution to remove the president in some other way. And there's no guarantee that that would succeed because whatever majorities they might get, let's just say, they might not be definitive, especially in the Senate. And so that could be where this flames back up again if we're still dealing with all these stories at that time. But that's one of the reasons why Comey's testimony on Thursday could turn out to be such a pivotal event from historical purposes, because if, in fact, the world does change in that significant of a way by the year 2019, let's say, Thursday could be the day that people look back to and say that was the day the case was made. And then they, if Democrats control Congress, could take it up and try to use it to punish the president. Impeachment has only ever been used as a partisan tool by Republicans (laughs) against Bill Clinton and by um, Republicans against Andrew Johnson after Lincoln's assassination. So it would be in keeping with that pattern and, and what we know about the way politics works for Democrats potentially, theoretically, to use it against a Republican, Donald Trump. We all, both as journalists and as regular citizens, seem to have a tendency to uh, follow the shiny object of of the day. And and with the rapid speed that we've been talking about, that shiny object changes day by day and takes us in, in a different direction. It was interesting for me, though, to hear... In Comey's testimony, his uh, strong replies to Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, uh, his inquiries, and it seemed that Comey brought this back to the Russian situations. It basically said, you know, let's not forget that uh, his exact words, they're coming after America. Uh, is that being lost in in all of this obstruction of justice and he said, she said kind of thing? I get the impression that it is. And it's kind of like, let's say you have an old house with an old wooden deck yeah. and you want to put a new patio down. You have to get rid of the deck before you can even get to the yard to put in your paving stones and your pretty landscaping and so forth and so on. And that's where we are with this Trump Uh, situation in these investigations. We don't even have a clear picture of the full scope of this Russian election meddling that took place last year because the president's personal and political fortunes are so tied up with it so intensely. And we may not be able to get to the one without getting to the other, whatever that means for the Trump administration. And only when we do 
would the United States then be able to take some kind of potential action to impose costs on the Russians or uh, increase the safeguards that the federal government offers to state election systems or do any of the other potential things that people have discussed doing to safeguard the 2018 and 2020 and future elections from this kind of Russian meddling. But one message that Comey and all the other national security officials that we cover have stressed over and over again to Congress is that these uh, techniques of mischief are taking place even as we speak. The, the spear phishing attacks that the Russians launched against local elections officials and their vendors are going on even now, and they're preparing all kinds of new uh, bots or malware or other ways to try to use so-called active measures just to sow chaos in the United States uh, for their own geopolitical and historic reasons. And the dilemma is the Trump politics have clouded that and the importance that Comey argues and others of uh, countering that. And also the partisan filter through which Americans view everything that happens means that you pick the percentage, 40 or 45 percent of people aren't even sure that they believe it took place because it benefited them in a way that is destructive or hurtful. There are a lot of people who say, no, it couldn't have happened. And I canvassed for Trump down in Louisiana and I didn't see any Russians down there. And so it's impossible for me to believe that this is taking place. And when the basic facts of the story are discounted by much of the country, uh, that compounds the problem even more for getting people to A, accept that it happened, and B, support some kind of potential remedy by the intelligence community or the military or the State Department or any of the other ways that you could respond. And so it's a really big dilemma. And for as much as we talk about it inside the world that I live in with the national security committees in Congress and the spy agencies and so forth, there hasn't really been much progress in terms of practically doing anything because the implications for the president personally and his closest aides in the administration uh, are so great. And uh, it's a very difficult situation. It's it's one of the many um, Gordian knot type problems that Washington is dealing with now that just have no end in sight, unfortunately. One more question on the uh, hearing of uh, former FBI Director Comey. Uh, NPR had a, a story online about uh, the red flags that Comey, in his artful way of using words, uh, brought up about uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, that inferring uh, that there was more out there than we know about and uh, it brought about Sessions' rec recusal. Uh, are we going to be hearing more about this soon? I'm sure we will be hearing more about this soon. Um, the Attorney General, Mr. Sessions, has a hearing scheduled in Congress on Tuesday, which was convened months ago so that he could talk to Appropriations Committee lawmakers about his proposed budget for the coming fiscal year. I think if that hearing actually takes place, the chances are very good that Democrats and potentially some Republicans will ask him about what Comey said. And just to remind people, what he described to the Intelligence Committee was a certainty by himself as then FBI director and his colleagues in the Justice Department that Sessions would not be associated with any Russia investigation. And then Comey was asked, well, why were you so certain early on that that would be the case. And he said, I can't talk about that in an open session. The suggestion clearly was there was some kind of 
information that's not public and potentially classified or intelligence information that made Comey and his colleagues believe Sessions is too compromised in terms of dealing with the Russians for him to credibly be involved with this. And as events turned out, uh, Sessions did recuse himself. He um, recognized that he had been working in the campaign, he said, and as such, it wouldn't be appropriate for him to be involved with investigating the head of that campaign and his current boss, the president. But Comey indicated to Congress that there's even more there beyond what people knew, and we don't know exactly what that is. But this is taking place at the same time that Trump on Twitter and in some of his public comments has been very frustrated with the Justice Department and Sessions over a separate issue. Trump very early in his presidency issued an executive order that he hoped would impose very stringent travel restrictions on a group of mostly Muslim countries to keep their people from coming to the United States. Um, That did not go over well because of the technical and legal way it was rolled out. It was challenged and then stopped in the courts and eventually will make its way up in kind of a, a weaker form to the Supreme Court. And uh, Trump complained that he wanted it to be called a travel ban. He didn't want this restrictions term used. And he thought it was good for American security to keep these people out. And Sessions is the man running the Justice Department. He's responsible for all this. And so it's become one of those regular things that reporters who cover the White House check in on with the spokespeople there and say, does the president still have confidence in Sessions? And a few days ago, the spokesman, Sean Spicer, gave a very telling answer in Washington terms. He said, well, I haven't had a conversation with the president about that. In other words, he didn't say, yes, of course, the president believed Jess Sessions is a true American patriot and he supports his work. Later, White House officials did begin to say, yes, we support all our cabinet secretaries. But the messaging there is very clear. Sessions may have run afoul of the chief executive just for political reasons, separate and apart from whatever we may learn uh, based on the clues that Comey gave at the Senate Intelligence Committee. And people under attack often find scapegoats. <laughs> and, uh, it seems like Attorney General Sessions may have that written across his forehead uh, at this point. Uh, one last question, Phil, and, and that is uh, for some advice from you, you. You cover national security issues and military issues and, and you edit uh, others who cover them. What should we, the average person out here, be looking for uh, in the next few weeks? What should we focus on? In terms of the Comey, Kushner, Trump, Russia, and Broglio, the hardest thing and the most important thing to focus on is the daily drumbeat of headlines because very often there are small bits of evidence or indications or minor little scooplets that come along that get lost in whatever the big story of the day is, whether it's in the national security world or not. But they're all adding up to something, uh, the shape of which none of us knows yet. And the most difficult thing, but I think also the most important thing to do if you want to understand it, is to cover it like a beat. And even if you're not in the mix necessarily every day, to try and see as much as you can about the fact pattern that's emerging of the people responsible. It's a very difficult story to follow. And I can tell you it's a very difficult story to cover just from a news journalism perspective, since it's so complicated, since so so much of it plays out in um, mama bird leaks by people who want to give specific special worms to the birdies at the New York Times and the Washington Post, and in the way that 
there are completely contradictory accounts of the things that took place in it, as e- exemplified by this dynamic between the president and the former FBI director, where each of them is basically calling the other a liar. Um, however, it's not impossible to get a picture of what's taking place. You just have to build it by connecting the dots every day. And um, I hope I don't know if that's a useful answer or not, but it's the only way I've been able to figure out how to make sense of it all. It's not one of those things you can check in on. There are some stories, sadly, um, where that's the case. The war against ISIS in Syria and Iraq is the kind of thing where it doesn't change very much from week to week. And if you right. read one story about it or you see one television reporter about it or hear one reporter about it in NPR, things may not be very different in two more weeks the next time you hear or see the next one or you check in again. With this, you have to pay attention every day. Um but that can create a better understanding about what's taking place. It seems like uh, also with this one, you have to check in uh, to multiple topics. In in essence, in, in the past, you could just maybe look at the Justice Department or look at the AG's office or look at the special prosecutor or special counsel. Here, you have to do all of that, but you have to look at the, the Senate, uh, perhaps the House. Uh, you, you also uh, have to look at the, the huge uh, intelligence network of, what, 17-some agencies? That's uh, right. Uh, to, to look at. It seems like this is a picture that has parts of the puzzle coming in from all directions. Yeah, it's very difficult in, in the beats that we assign to our correspondence. Sometimes you can just cover a building, which sure. is what I used to do in my previous life. I would go in every day to the Pentagon and sit at a desk inside the Pentagon. And if things took place in the Pentagon, it was my job to write about what was happening. But this is not one of those. There are some defense aspects to this uh, every once in a while, but it crosses all the lines and it goes from Congress to the Justice Department to the FBI to the CIA to the NSA and everywhere in between, which is what makes it so difficult to follow. And it's why very it's very seldom that any one person has a complete picture of the events, given the sprawling nature of it. It's also kind of interesting in the sense that there's not even a name for this imbroglio. Right. We, were talking, we were talking about Watergate earlier. Everyone kind of knows what Watergate means, whether sure. they know details about it or not. But we don't have a brand like that for this. And that's by design. Republicans are in the majority in Congress. They are arguably the most skilled and deft party at coming up with narratives and framing and branding. And if they decide that they're going to go after Benghazi or Fast and Furious or whatever it is, you hear about that every day all the time. And they're very successful about even getting their opponents to pick up those brands. Obamacare began (laughs) as an attack line by Republicans against Obama, which the president eventually, I, I should say President Obama, eventually had to adopt on his own and say, well, this is what everyone calls it. I can't help but call it that. Um, There was no Trump care, really. There is no Kremlin Broglio or Trump Ghazi or something like that for this. People may toss them around casually, but it's not a real thing. And without that realness and without the ease of view that comes with it just being a smaller order storyline, it can be very difficult to keep track of. Certainly, it keeps me busy as a full-time job. Well, it keeps you busy, and we recognize your busyness. And I, I want to thank you personally for for your time, Phil. You you really help us cut through uh, the hyperbole and get down to to the real issues, and we really appreciate it. Thank you for saying so, and thank you for having me. Today, we've been talking with NPR National Security Editor Philip Ewing. He's given us some insight into what is really happening with the various Trump-Russia investigations. 
Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or you can review it through Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.